The Lord be with you, everyone. Two very quick things before we come to what we want to talk about tonight. And that is, number one, we are at this point rushing toward the retreat, which is the first full weekend of December. We've been talking about it here and there all year, but now we are approaching. It is now just a matter of weeks away. And those of you that plan to be with us, call the office as soon as you possibly can and make sure that you have your place with us. It is going to be one of the great retreats of our long history of having retreats. So I look forward to meeting you eyeball to eyeball, sitting at table and eating together and praying together and seeing the work of God in your life. And then secondly, I want to thank, and I really mean thank, those of you that have sent in donations that make this possible. Obviously, we do not charge for this. We do it and give it away to the world free of charge, but it is actually paid for by persons that respond to the Holy Spirit who brings about their giving that makes this possible. So thank you, and I mean thank you for listening to that inner nudge of the Spirit that causes this to continue week after week. Okay, I want to, we've come to the last of the Beatitudes. It seems aeons ago that we began, but tonight I want to look at Matthew 5 and chapter, sorry, chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Of all the Beatitudes, this one um, causes us uh, some hesitation. Uh, how on earth can Jesus be telling us that persecution is to be responded to with rejoice and be glad? I mean, they, they are massive words. And also he prefaces the sentence, as he has all the way through, with blessed. Let me remind you that that means, I mean, a joy that is enviable. That's the meaning of the word blessed. It, it means to be prosperous and successful in life. It, it means that you are not only in a state of joy, but a state of great contentment. And at that point, we, we stand back and if we had missed it up to this point, Jesus is not just a human prophet. Jesus is God the Son who has taken to himself our humanity. And now through the lips of Jesus, there comes the very insights of God himself. This is how God understands these things and is catching us up into it to live a supernatural life. So, you would say that at this point, blessedness has been drawn out to its most extreme. 
In fact, I'd say it is blessedness that has been drawn out beyond extreme. For with our natural mind, we cannot understand this verse and and settle into that, will you? I mean, we we tend to read Scripture, uh, well, I don't know how we read it. Uh, I would say we read it too quickly and we slide over things like this and um, don't take them seriously. Well, this is so serious, it actually undergirds so much that's said in the New Testament. Until we've faced this verse, then uh, there's parts of the New Testament that we, we don't understand what they're talking about. This brings me to something that you've got to understand all the way through our talking about this, and that is, although it is addressed specifically to those who are persecuted, it actually is written for all of us to digest. This is, uh, until all of us have got a hold of what this is talking about, we're not ready to fully enjoy and express the life that's described in the New Testament. And so, yes, it comes to its fullest expression in those who are being persecuted, but it is being in us, rooted in us, grounded in us, so that we are this kind of people. And so, therefore, I am addressing these words to everybody out there who's in our virtual room tonight. And that includes, of course, let me speak to those um, who look in sort of bemused wonder at the idea of persecution because you've never experienced it. Well, in this virtual room that we're all sitting in tonight, right next to you and listening to my words, there are persons right now going through persecution. And so I am speaking directly to those believers in the Middle East, especially so. I am speaking to believers that are in China and in Russia and are experiencing persecution. I'm speaking to those in Cuba and in Venezuela and other countries in South America where you are at this present moment just a few miles from where we live that you are experiencing most terrible persecution. And I speak to all of you. That includes those of you in Chicago, in New York, in Texas, in Canada, and some feel they've never experienced persecution. Well, let's all come and hear what Jesus is saying to all of us. You see, you don't suddenly become this kind of person in the day of persecution. Here is this believer. I mean, look at what Jesus is saying. Here is the believer and is being persecuted and responds to that with rejoicing and gladness of heart. Now, that doesn't make sense. And I say it again, that didn't just suddenly show up on the morning when persecution began. This is a description of all believers, but this this description comes into massive reality under the days of persecution. It's a description, I say, of all believers. Our way of life as a believer, united 
with Christ through the Holy Spirit. That is not deeper life. It is what a believer is. It is this faith 101, united with Christ, united, or as Jesus said, I in you and you in me. And that that is the only truth. There is no alternative. That is the truth of what a true human being is looking like. And therefore, it's true at all times. And that includes when we can go to work without any fears of persecution. It also includes those of you that are being persecuted. It covers all situations and all places our life, and that includes down to our innermost attitudes. It includes our thoughts and our imaginations. It includes our words and actions. Said Paul, for me to live is Christ. We are united with him, and therefore united with him in all of life. It includes in persecution. Okay, what what does this mean, persecution? What is it? Well, persecution describes opposition. The the lie and the liar and all who are united to that liar, they find themselves in a state of opposition to the truth and specifically to Christ and those in whom he is seen to be dwelling. It is opposition, and it covers many fronts, and so it can be physical opposition, which we usually associate with persecution, but it can be mental opposition. When when persons say things that deeply affect us mentally or emotionally, but it's opposition to the truth as it is in Jesus. And the opposition has one end in view, and that is to silence the voice, silence the life that witnesses to the reality of Christ not only alive, but alive in us, his believers. Persecution then can involve rejection, Rejection because of who you are in Christ. It it encompasses lying accusations. Lies that that are spoken just simply to tear you apart and make you look evil in the eyes of others. It includes mocking or what you might call bullying. It is going to involve possibly the loss of a position And the only reason for that is your walking in Christ, loss of property taken from you because of who you are in Christ, and all the way to physical pain, suffering, and death. That's persecution. And Jesus describes the persecuted as blessed. And not only are they blessed as as being in that state, but they are accompanied by what we can only say a supernatural uh, joy that is sourced in God himself. Persecution with the joy that goes with it. 
And please do not stop because this sounds so crazy. We're coming to the heart of what it means to be a believer. And let me say this, and I think this is very important. This, as I'm saying it to you, this verse, it might indeed seem just so far out. I thank God that I have had the privilege of traveling to most places in the world, uh, I mean in person, and I have been in numerous situations where persecution of believers is happening all around me. And of course, at that point, I have come into that possibility. Um, I, I, have, I was in Russia um, before the wall came down, and, and I witnessed, I, at first hand, I spoke with believers, uh, some pastors that had been in solitary confinement for, for years because of their faith. And I saw this with my own eyes. I saw a joy, a contentment, I, I saw persons alive as I had never witnessed in my life before. Um, I, I have been inside of China. I, I was greeted at the air. I had meetings with the underground church inside of China. And I landed in Hong Kong. And as we were collecting our bags, this Chinese man beside me, and he was bending over to pick up his bags, but as he did so, he was talking to me. Um, this sounds like James Bond sometimes, but uh, he was talking to me and said, our pastor um, what was uh, put to death for the faith uh, last night, and so the meetings have been canceled for a few days until it blows over. And um, I mean, he, he said that as normally as this is the expected thing. Um, and, and then I went into China with no meetings, of course, but I, I went into China just to see. And I, I, I let their official guide give me tour. And the guide said to me that um, we will go to the marketplace at two o'clock because that's when we kill all the Christians. And, and we might be lucky and see an execution. By, by the grace of God, there was no execution that afternoon. But again, in China, I, I met with believers that had that same joy that Jesus is speaking of here. And you walk away feeling that you have met, you have met the real. You have trodden on holy ground. You, I, I, I felt I'm not worthy to tie the shoelaces of these guys. Um, and I really did. That, that, to, to see this joy when they're under such extreme persecution for their faith. Well, I could keep on. I have stories that would last the whole hour. Uh, I just want you to know that we're not reading here some fairy story. We're, we're not reading some idealistic understanding of Christianity. This is the real, and it's happening all over the world today. And therefore, I believe all of us, especially who are listening in the Western world, we need to take a step back and look at what we are part of. The reason for persecution, Jesus gave it very clearly. And I want you to hear this and 
Uh, Jesus said, persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Mm. And then he said, persecuted on account of me. And then thirdly, he said that you, you are in the same line as the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, that's very, very important. How can I put this without taking up time? But I, I think we need at least to comment on it, that persecution is very specific for the sake of righteousness on account of me, because you are in the same line of the prophets before you. So, let me just say it. This is not being persecuted on account of being a nuisance. Um, there are many zealous believers, zealous believers, and they, they, they understand um, being a Christian or witnessing as what the, everyone else in the world would say is just being a plain nuisance. That is, they, they will barge into other person's lives without any reference to that other as a real person with, with a whole life. No, they just, they, they, they want them to say a prayer after them. And, and it is nothing but a nuisance interruption into that other's life as though that other is but a statistic to be read out at church to say, I got another one to say the sinner's prayer. Um, they've tried it on me when they don't know who I am, especially at airports. And, and I, I'm, I'm doing my own business and then someone interrupts uh, and uh, there's no way that they would ever convince anybody of what this life in Christ is all about. They're just an interrupter. They're a nuisance. They come banging on your door when you're doing something else and they demand a conversation with you. Or sometimes they, they, they won't even have the courage to do that. They, they will pretend to be taking a census and, and, and then sock it to you at the end. Oh, that, that's not witnessing. That is not. No, please. As if you're persecuted for that, good. You deserved it. It's not stealing your employer's time in the name of witnessing to your fellow workers. Do you know, we had somebody who worked for us once, and um, they disappeared off the job, and the, their desk was empty, and finally we found them, and where on earth they were. They said, I, I was interceding, I was praying. Well, then go off and leave the job. We had to fire the person. They, they came to work, not to work, but to do what they thought was a Christian thing to do. No, it's not parading your faith and demanding everyone adjust their behavior around you. You know, they, no one can curse. I, I've arrived here. No one can drink alcohol. Well, I, I'm here. I'm a Christian. No, that, that's not witnessing. That's being rude. No, it, nor is it blasting into people that they go into hell because they're not seeing things the way you see them. Okay, I, I got that off my chest, you see. That's not persecution. You're getting what you deserve. Uh, who, who wants you around? Now, of course, they reject you. Of course, they laugh at you behind your back and avoid you and thank God when you leave. No, the Bible says that you live such a life, such a life who is Christ in you, that in days of persecution, when you could not publicly share Christ, 
The world comes to you and asks of you of the hope which is within you. Let's get this straight. It's not you barging into people's lives uninvited. It's the world coming to you saying, I've been looking at the way you live and I want to know what you've got. That's that's what produces, on the other hand, persecution. The world sees you and rises up against what they see. They see Christ in you. So let, let's look at this very quickly. The reasons for persecution is righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, we've talked about this um, a few weeks ago, but let me quickly uh, say that righteousness, which is a big word in our mouth today because we, we only use it within Christian circles. It's really not a word you'll find out on the street but uh, and and it's got attached to it a lot of um, legalism that righteousness means you know you're keeping the whole of the Ten Commandments and so on. No, the word righteousness is a word out of covenant, and, and the the basic idea is that you are walking in covenant bond with another. Uh, that that you have joined hearts and joined minds and, and you're walking um, with the other and the other is giving the, themselves totally to you as you totally to them. And in the New Testament, it, it means that we have been, by God's gift and grace, joined to Jesus. And we now stand before the Father well, in him, but that that word in is so rich. It means I'm inside of him and he's inside of me where he is, I am. And so we stand before God the Father and hear me carefully without any consciousness of sin. Yes, you did hear me correctly. Um, without any consciousness of sin for joined into Jesus, we are joined into his death and blood shedding, joined into his resurrection, and therefore the blood of Jesus Christ we know cleansed from all sin. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. Therefore there's no consciousness of sin. There's only the consciousness that he loved me and gave himself for me. That's righteousness. I am in covenant relationship with the Father, even as Jesus. And I look into the face of the Father, knowing I am accepted. And let me underscore knowing. It means a joyous assurance of complete acceptance in the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I am right in the middle of that, sharing in the camaraderie of the Holy Trinity accepted there even as Jesus is. That's righteousness. And that's given to us because in 2 Corinthians 5 it tells us that Jesus, he became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. The gospel is not that I'm trying so hard to be good. It is that Jesus has taken our sin and our brokenness and carried it to death 
And we now live in his resurrection in the face of the Father, in the glory of the Holy Spirit. And we, we are accepted as he is. And you see, this is not religious fiction. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not living one sort of life at work and at home and then another sort of life in your church fellowship. No, this is your life. This is your life. You live your life. And that includes your home, it includes your work, it includes your play, it includes every situation and circumstance. It's all there in Christ, and we live in the presence of the Father as He does. And it's the Holy Spirit that actualizes this incredible life in every moment of our life. And, and that the New Testament calls that bringing forth the fruits of righteousness, the kind of person that you are because sin is now a past issue and Christ is your life and therefore you live his love in the world today. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted because it's obvious that you are not of this world that you are now locked into Jesus, your life. And then it says you are persecuted on the account of Jesus. Well, that's really saying the same thing, only let me expand a little in the light of that. It's on account of Jesus. That is, that's, that's not believing in an historical Jesus. You're not going to be persecuted for that. Uh, nor is it um, believing or trying to live by selected teachings of Jesus. Uh, no, on account of me, said Jesus, that is, on account of God, God the Son, who has actually joined himself to our humanity. He's assumed our humanity to himself. And, and God took our place. God stood instead of us and dealt with sin and, and destroyed death. So that this Jesus in Revelation 1, which interestingly the book of Revelation was written under the most extreme persecution that the church knew in those earliest days of his existence. And to John who was in chains on the Isle of Patmos, Jesus came. And do you remember he said, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, or I'm livingness, life itself. I was dead. What a statement. Behold, or amen, I am alive forevermore. That is, you'll never have to think about this again. It's been dealt with forever. Jesus who in our humanity not only put away sin, but destroyed the authority of death, crushed Satan underfoot. And we are one with him now through the Holy Spirit. And so, on account of me, describes his presence, his real presence in us, and his real presence then around us and with us. And that becomes very obvious, not only to us, but also to those who persecute. They see that. 
You see, the central fact of the gospel is believing into him. I say that into because that's the exact meaning of the word there in the original language. You believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean you believe he existed. It doesn't mean you believe he was here. Believe there, the Greek word en means into. It could be described, this word in, uh, as a bird coming into its nest and then snuggling down into the heart of the nest. And so believe in Jesus means believe into him. That is, you, you are not believing about him. You're not believing that he's sort of somewhere vaguely, you know, in the universe. It is believing into a union. It is believing where two persons occupy the same space without displacing each other and are in fact one, though they never lose their identity. Did you get that? To believe into Jesus means that I am into him and he's into me. We are two, but we do not displace each other, even though we're in the same place. Yet I remain me and he remains he. We don't become a blob. I'm not absorbed into God. No, for endless aeons, my name is Malcolm, and I'm a person known to God by that name. And he, Jesus, Son of God, God the Son, is in me, and I is in him. He doesn't displace me. I'm still me. I don't displace him. He's he. Yet we are one. That, that's, that, that's what the basis of the gospel is. Uh, and, and that's what it, because of me, said Jesus. Yes, you have become one with him. You participate in his life. You stand in him with the Father and the Spirit. Oh, the world sees that, sees that. And then it says that the reason for persecution is being in line with the prophets. Well, the prophets of the Old Testament, um, they did not know what you know. Have you ever thought of that? You think of Isaiah, but Isaiah didn't know what you know. He, he, he got bits of it, and he, that, that's what we call the prophecy of Isaiah. He saw and he spoke of what was coming. And, and Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1 says that these prophets, they, they knew and they brought the word of God in bits and pieces in many different ways. But Jesus doesn't bring us the Word of God. He is the Word of God. He doesn't bring a message as did the prophets. He is the message. And so it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, you see, the, the prophets have be, been bringing words about the Word. But now the Word himself comes, and it goes on to say the Word who was with God. And, and then he goes on and says that without him there was not anything made that was made. He's the creator God. But then further down it says, and the word became flesh, human flesh, and he dwelt among us. Huh, yeah. And now he lives in us through the Spirit, usually. They, they 
persecuted the prophets because they brought the words of God. They persecute us because the Word Himself lives inside of us. Look, the, the, world, will, the world can be very tolerant if it suits it, um, and, and especially is it tolerant with just floating ideas. Yeah, the, the sort of if you, if you join us and say this prayer after me, you, you, you'll, you'll have peace, you'll have joy. Well, yeah. I, I mean, Buddhist Hindus say the same thing, so they, they sort of let us, you know. And, and, and then if we say, you know, join us and, and you won't go to hell, well, whatever, you know. That, that, that doesn't bother the world system. You can, you can live down there off Main Street and have revivals by the triple dozen and the world doesn't even know that you're there. But the gospel as Christ living in you and you living in Christ go into work and into your neighborhood, into your family, into your playtime. Now they are confronted by Creator God Himself, Lord Jesus Christ, inside human, you. And they recognize a love. It's the way you forgive people. It's the way you are kind and gentle. And, and and you don't have it in for anyone. You don't seek revenge, and that that registers. Who are, who is this person? You see, who 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 is it that lives lives like this? It's a big question mark. Um, they're, they're confronting something they can't put their hand on, and, and your your fellowship with the Father. And the knowledge that He is in you and with you means that it cancels out anxiety. Who is this person that that doesn't worry, that does not have anxiety keeping them awake at night? Um, when you realize that Christ in you is has restored us to the original blueprint of what humans are supposed to be, and that's being worked out in us now through the Holy Spirit. The world system meets Jesus in us. That's the gospel. Jesus said as he is about to ascend that um, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me. That doesn't mean uh, what I mentioned before, being a nuisance. He, he didn't say you'll do witnessing, whatever that is. He says you will be witnesses. That is being who you be. You will be an open book that, that from which they can read the gospel. It's not a list of rules. You don't tell people, don't do this and don't do that, and I don't want you seeing doing that around me. Oh, that's not the gospel. That's merely the pathetic ideas of some legalistic group. It's not formulas that if you say this and say this. No, no nor is it a threat. It's good news. It's not a threat or a promise of heaven and hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, and the gospel is that Jesus, risen from the dead, ascended, now living inside of us through the Holy Spirit in our daily lifestyle. Huh. The, the Scripture said, plainly, as He is, so are we in this world. 
And Paul, as I've said before, um, said, for me to live is Christ. Well, Paul, you see, that's how Paul first connected with, with the gospel when Jesus had him flat on his face on the Damascus Road. You remember, you know that story. Saul of Tarsus, he was called in those days, and he was going to Damascus to, well, actually to, to wipe out the Christians. His agenda included the possibility of death. It certainly had horrific beatings for every Christian who named the name of Jesus. And, and he's on his way, bent on persecuting the church. And then comes the light of the glory of God and Saul of Tarsus on his face. And he hears Jesus. Now, have you, I mean, you know the story. Most of you do. Have you heard what Jesus said to him? I mean, heard it. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Whoa! Did you hear that? Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Me! Come on, Saul had never met Jesus. <laughs> Certainly Jesus was not someone sitting in the congregations that he had so bitterly persecuted. But Jesus is saying there, I think very plainly, that every time you touch a believer, you are touching me. For he dwells, he lives. Jesus, God the Son, lives inside of you and I. And for a persecutor to touch us is to touch Jesus. But you, as I say again, that didn't happen the day persecution began. That happened prior to it. In fact, it was that which uh, called the persecution forth because the world saw, they saw the face of Jesus in the believers and rose up to silence that voice. Um, the, the, the Jesus, uh, Paul was being told that Jesus actually lived in every person a believer, every believer he touched. So, so let let me say, this is not. I'm being persecuted for my, my association with an historical Jesus and with a, a group of people who all want to investigate this historical Jesus. We're not. We're not an historical society. Jesus is uh, the person of history, but he's also the person of this moment. He dwells in us by the Spirit. Um. We're not taking some of his words and trying to live them and trying to be like him and doing our best and all blah, blah, blah. No, it is Jesus himself who said the words now lives within us. The real presence of Jesus in us by the Spirit. This this points out, of course, that the gospel is is not a call to get something and I'll just brush over this, but many people think that the gospel is an it. Salvation is an it or a bunch of it's. Like, uh, I, I want some more love. I've heard that prayed. Uh, I've heard it sung and prayed. I want more joy. I want more peace. No, I'm sorry, he doesn't give away bits and pieces of joy and love and peace and anything else. He is that. Jesus is love. 
divine love, God love. And believers have that love because he who is the source of love lives within us. Joy is, is, is not just a, a vague floating emotion. Joy, as we see the scripture understands, joy is in fact the author, the source of joy living within us. Jesus is the peace of God. And so, look, put it this way, we're called the body of Christ. If, if you meet my body, you've met me. And you will talk about it afterwards as I met him. You don't go into the detail, well, I met his hand when he shook it or whatever. You, you meet me in my body. So, we, Jesus is met in us, his body. He's the head from whom we live. The world meets him in his body. Or the other that Jesus spoke of himself when he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We meet the vine in the branches. That's the only way to do it. You meet the vine in the branches and you, you take the grapes uh, of the vine that are hanging on the branches. And so that's the way Jesus put it. The, the world meets with him in meeting with us. Or First John 2 says, if, if we abide in him, then we should walk as he walked. This is Bible, you see. It's, it's being a believer 101 that he said it, didn't he? Jesus said to, to us, you are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. And, and therefore, he said, marvel not if the world hates you. That makes sense, doesn't it? They, they, they didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying or who he was. So if now he is who he is in us, marvel not if the world hates you. And then Jesus said, in the world you will suffer persecution. Of course you will, because the, the lie and the liar have one agenda, and that is to shut the mouth of truth. And so the world rises up, I say again, to silence and destroy, and to do so with the same mind that they set out to silence and destroy Jesus. And, and the source of this persecution can... It comes from secular governments, or those who would try to be secular, uh, dictatorships. Uh, and have you noticed, well, of course, I've been in these places and I have noticed it very well, that although they are the, these terrible, satanic-inspired governments are crushing the whole populace, they take a special interest in believers. I, I find that interesting, especially in some countries that I visited where other religions were not bothered with. They, they were looked upon as sort of uh, well, ir irrelevant. They, they, were, they just believe what they believe and go along with the government if they have to, and if not, we'll beat them up. But it was not because of what they believed but when it came to those who trusted and rested in the living Jesus, that was a different story. Then the government rose up to shut them up forever. 
And even here in the U.S., some of you might remember a few years ago, there were voices in our government at that time, and I heard it actually said, it was on TV, when members of the government said to Christians, do what you will behind closed doors on Sunday, but ultimately you listen to us. Well, that was the beginning. We were on the verge there of persecution. That, that's, you see what it is? Governments don't want the interference of persons who confess that another is Lord over all. The, these governments rise up and say, I am, and therefore they have no place for the only one who can say, I am. Jesus, actually that's why they, you know, they were persecuted in the early church because they insisted it was Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, the Caesar of Rome insisted that he was the only Lord, God, and Savior. Well, then, of course, he had to get rid of all the people who disagreed. And, of course, religion, Saul of Tarsus, uh, he, he believed he was doing God a service. He was a crusader who was saving people from the lie. And that is still true today. In, in my own experience, the worst opposition I've had to what I'm saying has been believers. Oh, yeah. But you see, this, this union is so real. I say it again, this isn't religious fiction. You, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, lives in you, and that is so real that, yes, you are the righteousness of God. Yes, Christ is your life, and He is the supernatural source of joy within you, which shows up in big time when you're being persecuted. And so, this grace and favor, that, that stream within us from Jesus, our life, is apparent to the persecuted. I mean, you, you, you know that. And, and in such extreme cases as I show you um, persecution, then, then it shows up all the more. And the persecutors see it, and they don't know what to do with it. You know, there are stories. No, they're not stories. They're, they're factual. Uh, back in those earliest days of Christianity, when, when believers were being thrown to the lions and other wild animals to be torn to pieces for the uh, joy of the crowd. And so the, the emperors of Rome gathered the crowds into the Colosseum in Rome, and then they threw the believers to the lions. And the, the soldiers, this, this is history, the, the, the soldiers who were to push the believers out into the arena uh, and then close the doors, they, they saw these believers as they're about to go out to face the lions and they are giving praise to God. There is an unearthly joy on their face to the point where the soldiers took off their helmets and laid down their swords and joined the believers to go out. 
they saw something that was beyond words, and they said that there is nothing in our life that is anything like this. So we want, and right there on the spot, they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior and joined them as martyrs. Now, now, you've got to understand that this, this is weird. We're not... We're not victims of our persecutors. It's, it's so obvious. You see, rejoice. That's what Jesus said in the face of this persecution. Rejoice. Be glad. Now, A, it didn't say be happy. Because happy relates to circumstances. That is, when circumstances are as we want them to be, the, the connection there is to the word happy. We're, we are happy because things are going our way. We're happy because people are being nice as they should be. But rejoice, no, that, that's not connected to circumstances at all. And that, that's why you never have to think about being happy, because being happy connected to circumstances, when circumstances are right, you will be happy without thinking about it. And when they're not as you want them to be, you will be unhappy and you will complain and so on, because that, that, that's the way you're living your life from bouncing off circumstances. But rejoicing. Did you notice here... Rejoicing is is not just something that's going to happen. It's a command. Rejoice. Be glad. That's imperative. You know what I mean. I mean, do it. Well, I my, my first reaction is uh, I, I, I just can't be happy. No, it doesn't say be happy. That's something else altogether. Rejoice is a word found throughout the Old Testament, as indeed be glad and a host of other words uh, of like. And it's always directed to God and from God. That is not circumstances. No, I can't rejoice in circumstances because something is happening or someone did the right thing, but rather rejoice it is not directed at what is happening or not happening. It is directed to the God who is love, who is at this moment in covenant union with us, who is the one from whom all strength and wisdom and know-how flows into us through Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And so the rejoice is, I rejoice in God. I rejoice because of who he is, this incredible God. And I rejoice in what he has done in including us, that we know the reality of the Holy Spirit living Christ within us. Jesus said in John 15, uh, in fact, that, that whole passage there, he, he says, my, listen to it, my joy I give to you. My joy I give to you. And then goes on to say that in giving his joy to us in order that our joy now might be full, that is that the joy of Jesus Christ 
in us. Well, his joy uh, that you might be full, you might be crammed with this. And so here is a joy that rises, transcends what is happening. It is a divine joy. It's a joy in God and therefore a joy that sees life as God sees it. So this isn't positive thinking. This isn't, you know, the positive chap who who always sees the good side of things. It's better than being a pessimist. But this isn't what this is talking about. Nor is it genetic. There are some people that genetically are just more positive than others. It's not that. It's not that. Nor nor is it when when someone says, well, you've got to look on the bright side. You see, cheer up. Things aren't what they could be. No, that doesn't fit here at all. This is the divine joy of God that entered into human through Jesus, who is now present in us with his joy. And there in John 15 that I just referred to, he said, these things I've spoken to you that your joy. And, and, well, what things? The things are that I am the vine, you're the branches. He said, get this union. Understand that where you are, I am. Understand that where I am, you are. That we, we are one. And what happens to you happens to me. And my strength and my love and my joy I give to you. Right in that moment. I'm talking about now, you see, as well as in a time of persecution. I, 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 I say again, this isn't just for persecuted times. If this is a Christian life, which comes then into stark reality in days of persecution. So rejoice is imperative. Therefore, it's under the idea of a command. And therefore, to do it is intentional. It is the choice. I choose to joy in God in this moment. I I choose to respond to God's joy and joy with his joy as I listen to what he speaks into me of his love for me and his um, love shed abroad in my heart. You see, happiness isn't intentional. (laughs) Not at all. It hangs on a fragile thread of everything going right today. And it depends whether there's rain or sun, whether your boss is in a good mood, all those things. I mean, so fragile. Your, your happiness is on a thread that's more fragile than a spider's web. But joy doesn't hang on anything. It pours forth out of the heart of God. And, and you know a joy that is beyond comprehension. You know, a joy that has nothing to do with what's happening to you. In fact, in the midst of what's happening to you, you transcend it with a joy as you joy with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And you see, my time is gone, but I I have seen that. I've seen it. I've talked to persons who have been persecuted and they report and do so with such obvious truth and conviction of a joy that carried them so far above the persecution they hardly noticed it. That's the great miracle that's going on here. Um, 
There's a lot more I'm going to talk to you about next week that I can't get to now. But I, I want to say this. When we think of persecution, and this is much because of the legalistic church, we, we emphasize the people that died in persecution, were tortured in persecution, which is very real. Well, the miracle there, and I mean that word in every meaning it has, is this peace, this joy that they transcend their sufferings, that in the moment of death, they are exploding in life and report on seeing Jesus welcoming them. It's very real. But let me say this, what the legalistic church has, shall I dare say, refused to comment on, because it upsets them, are the miracles that happen in persecution that are, are, that actually avoid death. Um, again, in Russia and China, I, I met with believers that the government starved them, but every morning, hens appeared on their doorstep and laid enough eggs to give them all the protein they needed and then turned around and walked away. And so the government never knew they had a secret supply of food. You have biblical expressions of this in the three young chaps who were thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's fire and they did not. The only thing that burned was their bonds on their hands. And uh, then they had the attendance of, well, what we believe to be Jesus. Join them in the fire. Daniel thrown into the den of lions because of his faith, and yet the lions didn't touch him. Those kind of miracles are being repeated throughout the world today. And the legalistic church does not report on it. It emphasizes you die in persecution, which oftentimes do. But, and I can speak uh, of Venezuela. Um, I'm sure my brother-in-law, Pepin, is listening to me right now and has reported of the ways in which, well, you know, the word coincidence just doesn't fit after a while. There's too many of them. And the the favor of God that goes ahead of you and around you and behind you, and to to realize that in the middle of this persecution, you are surrounded by God's grace and favor. So, let let me stop there, um, and and I trust I've said something that means something to every one of you listening. And over the next week or maybe two weeks, I want to get deeper into this because it deeply affects the way we live wherever you are listening to me today. And now, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His richest blessing, His abundant favor be with you, under you, around you, ahead of you, that you might live this life of rejoicing in the midst of the pressure in which you find yourself. So I now bless you and declare that is the way it is.